Welcome in, everybody, to Kevin Got Tired of His Radio Voice. This is Sad Times. My name is Kevin. I'm your host. Thank you so much for joining us. Please do tell a friend or a foe. Hell, tell them both. For those of you who have never listened to Sad Times, here's a little primer. Uh, Each week, we have a guest who comes on and talks about times they were sad, upset, angry, horribly challenging times in their lives and how they dealt with it. Maybe sometimes in a way that later they were like, I wish I could have done that differently. The whole goal here is we all have very difficult things in our lives, and the goal is uh, for people who are kind and generous who come on to tell their story to, so that you listening, wherever you may be, maybe sitting at the last blockbuster in the world, I don't know where you would be, but you're listening to this, and you could say, hey, I relate to that, or hey, I never knew that, and now maybe I want to tell my story to somebody else. That's kind of the whole goal here. So thank you again for joining us. And if you do want to be a guest, we do have a website now. I'm going to say it, and then I'm going to say also it's in the show notes. So I'll say it first, www.sadtimespodcast.com. And it's also in the show notes. On there is a lot of cool stuff, uh, including a form that you can fill out if you do want to be a guest, and we can let you know how it works. And just to let you know, the the first and the paramount rule of Sad Times is the guest decides 100% about what we talk about. So if you do submit there, we will reach out to you and talk to you. So awesome. Let's uh, get to our sponsor before we get to our guest. <clears throat> our guest. I'm already emotional about everything. All right, this week's sponsor is former Vice President Mike Pence's eyebrows. Are you looking for eyebrows that always somehow show concern, condescension, and smug morality? Look no further. Because not only is Mike Pence a Christian, conservative, and Republican in that motherfucking order, so are his eyebrows. That's Mike Pence's eyebrows. Don't you dare look away lest you be turned into a pillar of salt. Ah. And as always, we couldn't do this without our sponsors. So let's please make sure uh, that you go and uh, support our sponsors using the code F-A-K-E. That's F-A-K-E. And that would be great. All right. Enough of that bullshit. Let's get to this week's guest. Should I say returning guest, returning champion, the great Ali. Ali, how are you? I'm good, Kevin. How are you? Oh, you okay? I'm <laughs> I'm fine. I I have a hat on indoors. How, how do I, how do I look? I mean, it's fine indoors. I was a little concerned yeah. because it's hot outside. It's hot as fuck, isn't it? Yeah, as we it's record, hot as fuck. it's yeah. only going to get worse this week. Yeah, mm. hundreds. Yeah, I'm Still not going to wear the hat. Yeah, well, I've had it stapled on. Okay. Yeah, I don't have, I don't own a staple remover. Do you have one? No, I'm sorry. Damn it. Okay. Uh. So, Ali, you were on, and I, forgive me, you were on like episode nine or episode 10, somewhere in there. Yep. Um, and we talked a lot about uh, you growing up, the home you grew up in, things of that nature. Today's a little bit different topic, but let's let's just talk about, tell us where you're from. Well, I am born and raised in Chicago, Illinois. I'm raised on the west side of Chicago. What neighborhood? It is K-Town, okay. and most people are scared of it. Is it K-Town? What is that? Does that stand for something? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> I just live there. <laughs> All right, fair enough. Um, and you now you live in the suburbs, right? Yes. Okay. Chicago's a great city. It is a great city. I love it. I don't live here anymore, but I love it. 
And how do we know each other, Ali? Well, we worked together at a couple previous companies, not one, but two. <laughs> Very interesting. That's right. And you're still in that line of work. You're um, in customer support. Good old customer support. That's right. <laughs> I see that you have your customer support smile on. Sure do. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, thank you for coming back on, Ali. So we got to know each other working at those companies, and we kind of just mess around and joke and, and, and all that stuff. Uh, but... I know that you've had a pretty crazy life-changing couple of last couple of years. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about it. I mean, we all went through the pandemic, obviously, um, but let's talk about what else we're speaking about. So tell me um, about basically what happened a couple of years ago, and then we'll start there. Yeah. So... When I, so I came on, I was talking previously about my dad a couple years after that. Um, I found out that I was pregnant. <laughs> I was at 29 weeks, might I add. Wait, you didn't find out till 29 weeks? That is correct. Oh. So wow. I had something kicking that I thought was gas and it was a baby. I was 29 weeks when I found out he existed. What kind of shock was that? Um... It was definitely a shock because yeah. <laughs> I was told I couldn't have children. So it definitely took an emotional toll. So it was like 50 emotions at once, all just kind of ripped together. Did you, so you went to the doctor thinking it would be one thing and then they're like, hey, you ever heard of paying for college? Yes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> like, That's nice. <laughs> there are some things that are more difficult than gas. Mm -hmm. mm. Mm -hmm. So 29 weeks. And I believe uh, my sister's not a doctor, but I think she's told me that Pregnancy is generally around 40 weeks. Yes. So you only had like 11 weeks, so less than three months. Less to, than three months. Now, what um, what was your husband saying when he found this out? Um, he was also in shock. It took him about a couple days yeah. <laughs> to, let, to process it, even after we did the ultrasound. Sure. Yeah, so it was definitely a shock. Good shock, but still a shock nevertheless. Right, okay. Uh, so... You find out, and then um, he's born. Tell us about uh, uh, when your son was born. Okay, so CJ, um, his name is Charles. We call him CJ for short because he has a ridiculously long name. <laughs> okay. So CJ um, was born December 22nd of 2020. So he's a good old-fashioned pandemic baby. Um, when he was born, so prior to him being born, we actually... Um, in those 11 weeks, I had to get immediate care. So I was pretty much in the hospital every single week um, going in for at least three to four appointments. Um, we had found out that one, he had what was called a club foot. So his left foot was pretty much um, twisted inward. Yeah. And then they also found that he had what's called tetralogy of Fallot with pulmonary artresia. So basically he had a missing vessel in his heart. So that was both of those required repair. Um, we also learned because of how late it was in the pregnancy that he also was born was going to be born with one kidney. So there was a lot <laughs> that was happening at that point. 
This is a really dumb question. Could they tell that type of stuff just on the ultrasound? Yes, they can. I did not think that they could, but they actually can. And so the initial clinic that I went to, they had older um, ultrasounds. So there were certain things that they couldn't tell. So then I had to end up like transferring to a bigger hospital where they had like better technology. And Mm -hmm. then that's when they really like dove deep into all of those things each and every week, just monitoring, and they were able to identify those things. Okay. So did they, when when they let you know that these challenges that he was going to face, what, what uh, I, I don't know how to say this, like, was that really, this is a really dumb question, but I mean, was that just extremely hard to hear? Like, how did, how, what was it like to hear that at that time? So at that time... It almost made me, and I think a lot of, of of people will agree, it's not something that's like popular. But at one point, I did think, was it really worth him being born? Now, you know, technically in like doctor, you know, in, in medical terms, like it was too late to have an abortion. Um, it was actually mentioned Um, When I initially went, but due to the fact that it was long, like long, like I was past like six months or whatever the time frame was, Mm -hmm. it was like, well, it probably would be a health issue for me if that was to go through anyway. Okay. But it was a thought. I'm not going to lie because I'm just like, how do I bring a human being into this world starting off with the complications that they're going to have. I had no idea. I was probably just in tears the entire time because in my mind, I'm thinking he's going to have a hard life. I have no idea about any of these things. I did not have any of these issues. Family did not have any of these issues. How could I possibly bring someone here who didn't ask to be here and tell them, hey, you have to go through this, that and the other just to live, right? So it was it it was definitely hard. God, yeah. Um, that reminds me. Of the other day, I got a paper cut. What I'm Ouch. trying to say is, uh, it puts things into perspective, right? I complain about a bunch of bullshit, yeah. and um, yeah, it did hurt. Thank you very much. Okay. Um, so was was CJ born right around when you thought he would be? Like, meaning time wise, uh, due date ish. So I had two due dates. They thought January. <laughs> And then, so initially, the original clinic thought it was going to be in January. They thought I was 25 weeks. Then I went to the bigger clinic, and then they said, no, you're 29. And he would be born December, uh, around December 21st. So, Oh, wow. Right there. Yeah, right there. Prompt young man. Yeah, first first day, the 21st, I got um, induced. He decided, no, I'm going to stand here because I'm comfortable. Fuck you all. Mm -hmm. And then he came on the 22nd. Have you talked to him about that language? Um... Not yet, but okay. I think he has a lot to say going, going forward. <laughs> right, he does. <laughs> so knowing that there were going to be these complications, what kind of mindset were you and your husband? But, you know, I'm more interested, not more interested. I mean, I'm talking to you going into to giving birth. Um, there was a lot of emotion. Uh, we did not know or expect what was going to happen afterwards. I think the main thing was I was healthy CJ was healthy. We're going to go into this. We're going to have him and just, you know, hold our faith and just hope that he at least comes out and that nothing is like too strenuous on him. 
Um, we got through it. So as far as like the delivery and everything, but it was automatically right then, like issues right then and there. Like what? So we had them. And then, you know, typically you have a baby, you know, they check, make sure the baby's okay. Put them in a blanket. You hold your child. Well, that was not my experience. So at that time when he was delivered, they immediately took him from me. Um, because he had the heart issue and with that missing vessel, it caused him not to be able to breathe properly. So as he was getting delivered, his breathing was declining. Once he was out, they had to immediately take him and actually put him in the NICU. Um, he was having complications breathing and it was very, very struggling. And on top of that, you know, along with, you know, checking his kidney and everything else, so I actually did not get to hold my child until he was a month old because he went immediately in the NICU. Of course, they had to put on all the, the machines and he had to get an NG tube in his nose that helped with the breathing. But it also well the breathing a breathing tube, but also an NG tube so he can actually eat because he wasn't able to. So that's how they had to feed him as well. So a feeding tube. Yes. Yeah. What you're saying. OK. Yeah. Um. So. Did could you even see him when he was born? Let meaning, or he was born, and then they had to whisk him out of there yeah. immediately. And yeah. then, did you see him later? And with all the stuff, what was that like? Um, it was painful. I wasn't able to hold him. Um, it was a few hours later after the delivery. They did let me go to the NICU, which was like a couple floors down. Um, they just had to make sure like everything was sanitized because it was just that sensitive of an issue. Um, and it was fucking December of 2020. Right. We we're yeah. like three days from Christmas. Right. Like, mm -hmm. here we go. So it, it definitely was not a, a great experience. I mentally wasn't really thinking about the fact that I just had a baby. I was more thinking about what happens now. Like every minute at that point of his life mattered. Like something could happen where he could have just stopped breathing or, you know, just the trauma of being delivered. It was not a great experience. Mentally, I was just on pretty much anxiety, like a th times a thousand. It was w scary. Was there anybody you could talk to about this? Meaning, obviously, everybody at that hospital, I'm sure, was doing everything they could to to make sure that he was going to be OK. And but that type of. Anxiety is an anxiety I will never feel. And it, it has to be the most, probably the most intense anxiety there is. So like, did you feel, did you have any sort of outlet where you could share that? At the moment, aside from like just the nurses and the care coordinators, not really. It's a, it was a really like, even though, you know, I had my husband and, and we were trying to get through it together, we both were at the same level, right? We didn't know. Like, we've never had a child. We did not know what to do with a child with these complications. We're trusting strangers with our child. So it was really, really no outlet. And so mentally, like, you know, it's easy. You hear people, oh, it's okay. Like, this is what we're doing. And they did the best that they could. But it just really wasn't mentally. I, I was just out of it in various different levels. And all I could just think about is, what next was it almost like and i don't know if you've ever had was it kind of like being in shock almost or your I, understanding of what shock may be my understanding of shock i i wouldn't be surprised if that was actual shock yeah yeah okay um so most 
my understanding, I don't have any kids. Uh, most of the time, child's born a day or two later. They're like, all right, get out of here. We got more moms coming in. We got it. We need the bed, et cetera. Did you guys get to go home anytime soon after CJ was born? CJ, the next day, mm-hmm. was taken to another hospital um, that had specialized heart specialists. So that was the first thing. I was not approved to go home yet. Their concern was so. I'm also type 2 diabetic. So that was like the extreme concern at the beginning um, because anything could have happened with me. So after he was born, um, he was immediately the next day transferred to the hospital. I had to stay for about another couple days. They had concerns about like my hormones and blood sugars kind of jumping up and down after the pregnancy. Mm -hmm. So it was really huge for them to monitor me now. Did I do the right thing afterwards? Absolutely not. They wanted me to go home and they wanted me to rest for at least a week to just, you know, take my medication and whatever. That did not happen. The minute they gave me my release papers from the hospital, I told Jeff, you know, fuck what they're talking about. We're going to the other hospital and we're going to be with our son. So as much pain I was in and I was in a lot of pain, Yeah, (laughs) I was in a, a ton of pain. So I literally limped to the car and literally limped um, as we went to the other hospital. I had Jeff go upstairs, stop at our apartment at the time because we literally like we were at a time and it was still during that transition from when I did the last show, like mentally, just with my dad passing, trying to get back to where I was mentally. So you're dealing with all of that grief. Yeah. Then you find out you're pregnant. Yeah. uh, And then you understand that there's going to be some medical complications. And then you can't even hold your child. Yeah. And then they're like, yeah, you should probably go like watch the people's court and relax. Mm -hmm. And you're like, I love Judge Wapner, but. (laughs) Yeah. All right. So you and Jeff ran, got some stuff from your apartment, went to the the new hospital where the heart specialists were. Tell us what else happened. So at that point, they have these little rooms, right? And so families can come in. um, They can sleep. Um, while the child is there. So we went there immediately that that night. I know doctors were just in shock because they're like, you just had him. You're here. So I pretty much for almost an entire month, we did stay. Um, They have a little room. um, And then pretty much I was just there monitoring every single thing from all the different plugs. They had to check if he had any type of like seizure concerns. He had this like helmet um, on his head that they used to do that with, which is insane. That was like the scariest for me. And they have this little mat that's called cooling where they actually put the child at a certain temperature if they think that there's any seizure issues and have them at a certain temperature for X amount of time. I'd say about like two to four days. Um I can't get into all the like the logistics of it, but that's pretty much like checking to make sure that there's no brain damage or injury, considering all the medical complications that he had, the breathing issue that he had coming out and just being delivered overall. So I'm literally asking question after question. Jeff's asking like question after question. We're just looking at our son seeing all this stuff that he's going through just being born. And we're literally just sitting by his side every single day, like everything they're doing, I'm trying to learn. So at that point it was trying to learn instead of like 
kind of going back and forth. It was more like, what can I do at this point as parents? What can we do to make sure that we're make having the right things for him? Um, because essentially we we're hoping he gets out the hospital sometime soon. We see there's kids that's been in there for like four years. They've barely never seen home. So that's so horrible. Yeah, it's it, it was heavy. And so Ooh. at that point in my in my life, I just I didn't care if I didn't heal well. And I know that's not like the healthiest thing. But, you know, at that point, it, it wasn't about me. It was about making sure that CJ got what he needed, like asking every question, learning everything about every issue that he had and just being his advocate because he's coming into this world like I see all these people I feel things right that's what I'm imagining you know as someone coming into this world no idea what's going on not being able to to live a normal life just going home after being delivered but actually having to get care and then three months into his life having a first minor surgery so it was it was definitely a heavy time what was the first surgery for so the first surgery was they put a PDA stent. So I'm going to explain this as best as I know how, because there's so much lingo and jargon. So when you're in the mother's womb, there is a tube that you breathe instead of just how you we regularly breathe as we do now. And so once you're born, that actual um, tubing closes and you are now supposed to breathe as you normally would. But considering that he needed um, a vest, he needed that vessel and that repair in his heart, um, they had to keep that open. So it's the connection between the child and the mother. So they had to put a stent to actually keep that tube open to be able for him to effectively breathe at that best capacity at that time. So he had that three months into his life. And you called that a minor surgery. That was minor. Yes. That is considered in the medical world a minor surgery. Wow. Okay. Um, and at this point, three months in, he probably still has the feeding tube as well. Because I imagine if you're, it sounds like you couldn't keep that open and, and also eat. Or am I in my way off? No, no. So you can. Like okay. you can keep that open and still eat. At the time he has. So there's two different types of tubes. There's what they call an NG tube. NG tube is what they put in the nose. So it's a feeding tube, but they do it through the nose. Essentially, as kids grow, they get a, a tube, um, a button, which is called a G button in their stomach. So they'll get like a minor surgery. They put a little hole and that's a lot easier because it's going directly to the stomach. Um, but at that time, since he really wasn't eating and most of his nutrition was coming from um, formula, some point of like breast milk a little bit, but because he wasn't actively mouth eating, they had to put it in his nose um, for him to be able to get his nutrition. Gotcha. You know, I, I, I've talked about it on the show before. Um, one of the reasons I, I'm kind of, I think I would be overwhelmed with, uh, if I had a child, um, overwhelmed with that person, especially somebody who's, you know, days old, they need me to live. Uh, and I would be overwhelmed with their need for me. And I would just feel so scared that I wasn't doing something right or et cetera. I think, you know, again, I have no children. So I, I, this is just a guess. Um, but you're, 
feeling all that or something like that, I assume, correct me if I'm wrong, but then it's also, you can't touch your child and there's, you know, that thing on his head that you were talking about and then all those tubes. Did you just have to push it all, like the emotions down in order to just be like, I need to just get through today and make sure he's okay, as you said, be his advocate. Is that how you dealt with it? That's how I dealt with it. Um, Yeah, it was... It wasn't about me at that point or like having to be emotional. I think the first time the first time I actually got emotional and actually cried and broke down was when I was first able to hold him, which was a little bit after a month. Um, The two nurses that I was working with in the NICU, you know, had to um, help by just bringing plugs over and things just to make sure I could comfortably grab him. But he was still on a lot of that. Um. But I was able to hold him then, and that's when I broke down. But throughout the process of, like, you know, did I talk to a therapist? Did I have, like, an outlet? No. Um, Honestly, the best way that I knew how to deal with that was to keep all of my emotions in and just be logical because of the timing of everything, the needs of all of his medical care. Um, That was important. And I think the darkest place— in that time frame, and I'm I'm speaking a little bit even after he got his PDA stint. So I'd say three to four months in was me taking a full bottle of cognac and just drinking it down was the biggest way for me to deal with that. That was yeah. the only way. Like I know some people, you know, of course are not gonna agree or they may think, wow, that's you know, that's insane, but that's really the only way that I was able to deal with it. I rather had slept like I had went through a crying phase day in and day out. Then I just couldn't cry anymore. And I still had to be logical, but it was like every bit of time and attention was on him and making sure CJ was okay. And did this make sense? What didn't make sense? So I'm in the hospital in and out just day in and day out. They had to like literally kick Jeff and I out at one point because we were just there every day. But I just didn't want to deal with it. And at one point, it just became too much. And I just, you know, bottled down an entire bottle of cognac. And Mm -hmm. it wasn't the healthiest thing. But it was was just, I guess, a way for me to release and just go to sleep and actually have some type of sleep for at least a moment where my brain wasn't going through thinking about all the the things that had to be done paperwork and um checking with this and 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 getting this genetics test like all this stuff that this little child is going through and i have to be a part of that decision making was just not it wasn't a healthy time at that point for me i want to be pretty clear that you are very conscientious and you keep having um qualifiers like i know that wasn't the best decision well, I, I think you should give yourself a little bit of a break here uh, because you were dealing with something so profoundly challenging and you were doing what I think we all think we would like to be the type of person to do if, if we were in this situation. You were just doing it. And so there's no judgment that you went and got closed and just went to the other hospital. Uh, that just shows the type of person you are and the type of commitment you had to your son and have to your son to this day. And um, there's no judgment that you had a drink of alcohol or many of them, because I can't imagine there was anything else that was going to calm your fucking brain down at all. Yeah. Nothing. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Was that, 
uh, one of the nights that you weren't at the hospital that you finally were like, you know what? I just need to have a drink. I need to just sit down. And if you're crying every day and you get to the point where you can't even cry anymore. Yeah. Because crying is, it's good for you yeah. in a lot of ways. But it, I just don't know how you did it. Yeah, I, sometimes I still ask myself now. Yeah, that, that was away from the hospital. Like, yeah. I had to get back to life. Yeah. And bills, you know, <laughs> fucking bills. Yeah. But uh, I had to get back <laughs> to fucking bills, but. Sad times brought to you by fucking bills. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I got back. I got back to reality. It still didn't feel like reality. I'm just back at the apartment and I'm just sitting there. <sighs> and I'm just like, okay, my child's not home. Well, there's this bottle. I'm just going to go ahead and drink it. You know, at that point, I wasn't working either. I was still dealing with the the mental health issues that I had at the time as well. So I just, you know, at that moment, I was just like, I'm just going to do this and I'm, gonna, I'm just going to do it. Like, I didn't care at that point. Um, cared enough to make sure I woke up the next day. But at that point, it was just like, I just needed a break. It was just, it was a lot at that point. And so you weren't sleeping much is what is kind of what you're implying i think yeah a lot of the times you're in the hospital you know there's nurses coming in and out they're checking they're checking oxygen sats pretty much the breathing that's controlled making sure the heart is still pumping you know as accurately as possible they're coming in in some cases taking blood to do additional tests checking for any infections because at that point you know any infection could have potentially been fatal for him especially being that young. So it was not only just the medical challenges, but it's like, hey, you know, they're using, you know, different types of tools, anything that's not sanitized and has bacteria on it or him getting a virus could have been extremely fatal to him. So, you know, at that point, it was just like there was no sleep and I was okay with it because I wanted to see what they were doing at all times. But it, it definitely took a lot. You know, days got blurred, thought it was Monday, it was Friday. <laughs> so that was that was my life for about a month, a month and a half. That's way better. You ever, um, that's way better. And you're like, ah, God, Thursday, almost a Friday. And then somebody's like, it's Tuesday, Kevin. You're like, God damn it. Right. Uh, so when did he first get to go home? How old was he? So he was three months, um, a little a little bit past three months. So they did the PDA stint and he was doing well. Um, that kept the, his breathing open to that extent. Um, they sent him home. So he went home about a month and then around, so that was like March around May. Um, he ended up going back. So he ended up going back. I'm trying to think the timelines were crazy. So, well, no, he actually he actually was there for, he was home, for, yeah, for about a month. So about a month, a couple months, I'd say. He was at home. Um, we had got like a new place because the area we were staying in wasn't really great. And we didn't want to bring him back. So literally at that point, we actually took our son to a hotel. <laughs> like to wow. this really nice, like kitchenette hotel because we just... We had nothing. If it wasn't for like the friends in our lives, the family, the people in our lives, like 
just helping us with with money, with clothes, with like, I mean, we had 11 weeks to get clothes, to get diapers, to get all this stuff. So we're not even yeah, talking about not nine months, right? 11 weeks, 11 weeks. Right? right. So we had nothing. And at that point, we were just like, well, we can't live here like this isn't stable. So we took him to um, a kitchenette in the suburbs and we started there. Um you know, I ended up starting to go back to work. I found like a quick job, a quick gig. So that way we could have money throughout that time frame. And plus to have like private insurance, too, because we knew that was going to be another hurdle was the money and the, the surgeries. I, I have to point this out, too. Um, again, you're you're telling the stories. So you're saying, oh, then I did this. That's none of this is easy, especially trying to get insurance. And yeah. even if it's through a job. The, the amount of stress that comes with doing those, if you have no child or you, you, you know, everything. I, yeah. Yeah. It was, it was intense. Um, but he came home for a little bit and he was able, you know, we were able to have that time with him. Um, you know, we had a lot of trainers come in to just help us with like his NG tube, making sure that mm -hmm. we gave him feedings and things like that. But just being able to to play with them and and him like sleeping next to us in a crib. Those were some really good moments. And just him being a little fighter and, you know, smiling for the first few times and, you know, raising his hand for us to pick him up. And, you know, even those nights where it was crying, where most people, you know, as most parents are just like, ah, oh, fuck, just shut the fuck up <laughs> and just go to sleep. Those were enjoyable times for us because we didn't have them. And so, you know, it was it was a joy just to play with him and watch cartoons. But then we knew him going back meant it was time for the official surgery, which was close to seven months. And that was the time where it was for him to have major heart surgery. Major heart surgery. Major heart surgery. Yes. So none they were that, actually none of that wimpy minor no, surgery. No minor. This was they were putting in a fake um, vessel in there to help him breathe and well ventricle and just to repair the entire heart as a whole so yes seven months is that like was that like um full open heart surgery where they have to move the rib like break the ribs yes so oh he did have broken ribs um they had to repair it they put it they put it in it was like a cow's like vessel cow I, I from a cow heart eventually yeah from a yeah. cow heart yeah mm -hmm. so they had to put that in and make sure everything else was still aligned and then at the same time close that pda stent officially that's supposed to close after you're born so they had to close that take the stent out let that close and officially the heart was repaired so it was a lot seven how long, months how long did that surgery take that surgery took about eight hours so they took periods of, you so know. So he knows what a work day is like then? Pretty much. Okay, good. Yeah, he he's ready for the working world. Okay, good. <laughs> That's what's important. That and bills. And bills. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Eight hours. So I imagine um, you and, and Jeff were, and any other family or friends or whomever, uh, how often are they coming out to update you on how things are going? Um, every two hours. So they take it piece by piece because he's smaller. So, of course, everybody's just anxious the entire day. But I appreciated that, though, because, you know, in, as in any surgery and especially with someone at seven months and that young, I mean, there's kids that's had it younger than seven months, but they wanted to take their time and make sure that everything went in, 
whatever they move needs to be moved correctly, make sure it fit, make sure that it was connected. Um, obviously, with his other conditions, um, that that's why they wanted to take a slower time compared to someone who may have not had this, as many um, medical um, complexity as CJ. Um, it probably would have been a shorter time, but considering everything else, his respiratory, he only has one kidney function. They wanted to really take their time when doing this stuff. Yeah, I, I'm i not trying to make a light of this. I totally forgot about the kidney thing that he was dealing with until you just brought it up. Well, on top of every, oh, gosh. there's a beautiful thing about, I said beautiful. Good thing is, yeah, ready. You only really need one kidney to Damn live. Damn right. Yeah, you only need one. Do you, <laughs> hey, Brent. I didn't know that. Brent, all right, you can have my other kidney. You keep asking for it, you can have it. Wade, you get nothing and like it. Okay. It's not funny. I mean, the guy really wants my kidney. Oh, my. Yeah. Um, that's true. You only need one kidney to live. That's right. Um, so, how long of a recovery is that uh, from the heart surgery? So, heart surgery, stayed in the hospital... So that was July of 2021. So we're looking at four to six weeks fully with them also. Now, at that time, we couldn't touch him either because his rib, we couldn't, uh, we could hold him, but couldn't like lift him because, of course, they had to fuse the ribs back together and make sure that was together. So, yeah, about four to six weeks. Um, and he recovered exceptionally well, like the breathing, the heart was fabulous. Like they did an amazing job. Everything started circulating the way it's supposed to nothing like backtracked. So yeah, about four to six weeks, just being in the hospital, other conditions, um, thinking about that, he definitely healed and the heart started doing exactly what it was supposed to do. That's amazing. Yeah. And that's, uh, uh, and I, you know, I was, obviously this is an audio uh, medium, but I was smiling to hear that he, you know, he beat the expectations, you know, and, you know, I just hope that one day CJ will be out on the playground or something and some kid's going to come up to him. Let's just say that kid's name is uh, Kevin and Kevin's going to come up and be like, you know, I had tubes put in my ears when I was 11 months old and he's going to be like, ha, hold my beer. And then he's going to be like, why do you have a beer? No. Uh, <laughs> and he's going to be like, you know, at seven, I had open heart fucking surgery. I don't know why I just bleeped out my fuck there. Um, I mean, just to, to say that he came through that along with all the other challenges before he was one year old. And then he, so it sounds like he spent about at this point, by the time he's eight and a half months, about four and a half months of that time in a hospital. Yes. Wow. So, and you had said like right after he was born, you were able to push the emotions down and just be like, I want to learn what that means, what that means, what is that, you know, what, what does that monitor mean? Why is that tube there? Like you were just trying to get it 360 degree view on everything that was going on. Yes. Did you run into, you know, obviously Hippocratic Oath, the doctors do no harm, blah, blah, blah. They're trying to help. It's my favorite part of the Hippocratic Oath is the blah, blah, blah. Um, did you find, did, you, did it ever get, did people ever get a little um, annoyed or frustrated when you're like, well, what's that? What's this? What's that? Did you ever run into that? Yes. So 
that was, I think, our biggest challenge um, because, again, we had Jeff and I had been keeping our emotions down. And so, you know, we're trying to focus on how he gets well. Now, you know, Jeff, on the other hand, you know, we share a lot of the same thoughts about medicine. We like to kind of mix, you know, traditional medicine with holistic medicine. And so we spent a lot of time researching on different things, asking, well, why we couldn't do certain things. And sometimes, and this is not to discredit, like, all doctors are all nurses, because if it wasn't for our NICU nurses, if it wasn't for, like, the ICU, if it wasn't for a lot of the specialists that CJ has today, like, they are really amazing people. Like, we have great relationships. But there is a conversation. Even to this day. Even to this day. That's wonderful. Yes, even to this day. Um, however, there are certain, you know, physicians, and I think not just speaking on physicians, but I think in general in life, you know, you have some people who they go to school, they perfect their craft, you know, they feel like they know everything, even after like years of of doing the same thing. And they they definitely deserve that credit. But things life changes in so many different ways. And there's not just one solution, to everything. And so we would bring solutions or ask solutions um, that we have researched just to really not just to try to tell them how to do their job, but to get a different understanding. And unfortunately, and, you know, this is even me having conversations with home nurses that a lot. There's been a, a big journey of change with that in the pandemic where a lot of nurses left hospitals because of the corporate politics. Um, you get doctors who, you know, this is what they learned in the book. This is what it is. I've done it for X amount of years. I know better. This is what it is. And we'll actually argue with you. And, you know, we ran into that several times, you know, to the point where today, like we, you know, our son is at a new hospital now because there was a lot of disagreement in his care as he continued to develop and just not listening to us as parents. I think a lot of the times you know, you have parents who are new to these things and, you know, openly admit, you know, they're not sure, you know, of what's going on. But me and Jeff, we we research everything we want to know. We want to learn like we absorb learning and we want to be educated. But we also want to make sure we know that everything's just not a one right answer. And so, you know, we found ourselves at times getting into conflict with some of the doctors. But I think it wasn't more of them shutting you know it wasn't more of them disagreeing with us it was more of them shutting us down like we were dumb and we didn't know and we needed to just listen to their expertise and we needed to let them do what they did to our son a couple things one you you said he moved to a new hospital he's not currently in the hospital so he's not currently in okay. hospital but um, that your care is out of a different at, hospital yes so i said it just wrong. Wanted yes. to make sure yes yeah don't fuck up again on this this is serious business ellie it is serious yeah. business. You're right. You're right. So when they would say that to you, you know, I'm the doctor, you're not. And I'm not, again, I'm not trying to run these uh, people down. What what would be your response? Because that, that's a really difficult thing to say because, yeah, okay, I didn't go to um, medical school, but this is, you know, so what was your response? So a lot of the time, you know, I would share the research and it would still be a problem. And I think really... What they have typically in hospitals is care coordinator, like coordinators that advocate for you as a parent. Um, they would try to turn around and tell us, you know, well, you know, if there's an issue, speak with the advocate. And I'm like, no, I'm talking to you. 
because you don't have, I understand your expertise, but a lot of the time I would just let them know that, you know, as parents that are learning, like this is new for us. So it would be really silly if we didn't take the time to like learn or, uh, or understand what the other options were. And, you know, I would just fight back really like, you know, I'm his advocate at the end of the day. I have to make sure he's taken care of because when he's not here, he still needs to be fed. He still needs to be clothed. He still needs um, education and care um, that you guys are not going to give him. So I understand, (laughs) you know, again, I would try to understand where they were coming from and take things into consideration. But I mean, just like anyone else, they say, get a second opinion. And that's what we did. And with the new um, doctor specialist that he has at this other hospital, we found that it's a lot easier. They listen to the parents and they care so deeply about our thoughts about it. And even if we shared things that was unorthodox to traditional medical care, they were still open. And they some of them had even acknowledged that some of those things made sense. But here's why they had to go with a certain direction. Then they didn't shut us down. And that happens to a lot of parents with children with com- with medical complexities a lot where you'll have doctors in hospitals that will shut down parents and not listen to them or be open to the different ideas. Even like um, vaccinations, because we were in the midst of COVID still at that point. Sure. You know, we knew just researching from a normal, quote, normal child versus some medical complexities Yeah, there were vaccinations that he needed to take and we agreed to. But some of them at that point in his care were not necessary. And you had some physicians just pushing and pushing and pushing. And it's like, well, he gets this vaccination. He already has a respiratory issue. This can make him sick significantly, even though it's a vaccination. This might not be the right idea. And, you know, again, fact checking with a second opinion of a different physicians. And in some of those cases, we were correct. And so it, it is a challenge. It's it's definitely a challenge to have to go through. But I always do feel that, you know, with my gut and just research, I have to do what's best for my son. And there's just some things, you know, everything in medicine isn't always right. And it may not be right for that moment. Not to say that it's not right for a future situation, but it may not be right for that point, especially someone that's dealing with multiple things at the same time. So I always tell people to like get that second opinion because there are certain decisions that I've had, you know, nurses and doctors agree. If I didn't get that second opinion, something else could have happened that could have made him stay in the hospital longer, could have caused another impact. And so definitely I encourage anybody <laughs> to get a second opinion because you just never know. Um, and it's it's just important to make sure that yourself, whether it's yourself or your child or anybody, you know, that they have all the options that are available to their to them before they make an informed decision. Mm. Right on. Um so this was the July 2021 mm-hmm. uh, was uh, the the big scary heart surgery that he uh, recovered from over six weeks. You said um, when? How long was it? Six weeks after that surgery that he was able to go home again. So he stayed in the hospital um, from that point to like close to the end of September. So he had another minor surgery. The minor is the G button. So he had the NG tube in his nose. That's really not affected. That's really not 
great to go home with because it does take a lot. Even though we did, we we trained like really well on how to do it, but it's much more difficult than just having the G button in the stomach and being able to still do the feeding tube. So he stayed for a little bit um, while after that and then to monitor him after that surgery because they didn't want to, of course, do it back to back. And then he had a minor surgery of the G button. Took like maybe an hour, nothing more than that. And they have to do run tests to make sure that he's tolerating like feedings because he gets um, formula as well that you feed him through the tube machine. So they have to make sure he could tolerate the feedings, that he's not getting sick or spitting up because he still, of course, had some respiratory issues. So that had to be in check as well before going home. So it was in September, the end of September. Everything was clean with that. He was tolerating feedings. Heart was still doing great. His respiratory, his lungs was at a good state. He was able to go home. So he's about nine months old at this point. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, so that was September of 2021. As we're recording this, it's uh, August 2023. And as we release it, it's name, date, time, here. Just kidding. Um so it's been a little over two years since his that major heart surgery and a little under two years since he went home. How's he doing? CJ is awesome. Um, he is kicking my ass. My left leg hurts as of today. Um, Wait, what? Yeah, my left leg. You know, he he's a bouncer. He likes to jump and he likes to bounce on people. Um, I don't know. It, you know, and, and it, it's It's tough. He's strong. I'm a little scared because he's um he the, the these surgeries and being in hospitals made him a lot stronger. So, but he is a a very happy kid. Um, I have no food because I don't know what it is with you guys and food. Mm-hmm. You guys eat. Um, he is now starting to eat significantly by mouth <laughs> as well. Okay, so, so is he totally off of feeding too? Not at this point. It does take a process and therapies to get off. But okay. as far as like how many like feedings he get per day through the feeding tube, that has reduced. So he's starting to eat more by mouth, which is the goal, obviously. Yeah. Did he have to work with like a speech pathologist on learning how to swallow or relearning or whatever it is? So, yeah, there's like speech therapists, occupational therapists. You have a development therapist. So he takes all of those therapies. And now we'll be taking physical therapy because he uh, with the club foot that just got repaired. Um, What is this? This is August. August. Yeah. June. So he got the club foot repaired. What does that mean to have it repaired? Um, so in his case, repair amputation. So his left foot got amputated. However, um, he also, so it was a little bit more than just a traditional club foot. He was, it didn't have an ankle either. And then his tibia bone, which is the biggest bone in your leg, did not, um, it didn't form fully. So they had to fuse the tibia and the fibia, which is a small bone together. So it was part amputation, part reconstructive surgery so that his leg is straight. So still has his knees, still has most of his leg. He'll just need a prosthetic foot so that he will now officially be able to walk. And when is there like a timeline on that? Um, So we have already did his uh, molding of his foot. Uh, molding of his leg basically for them to create the socket so we're actually in the process now of getting his first prosthetic made okay yeah i want to ask you too now i haven't met cj but i've known you a while and um you're funny you don't take any shit all this stuff so with cj 
just growing up so far around so many different people, just you just started naming off all those therapists, right? Mm-hmm. What is, is he? How does he interact with like, uh, oh, here comes the person who helps me eat, or here comes, you know, does he have fun interactions with them? Does like, how is he with, with all of the people that he has to see every day? You know, most kids his age, they see their parents, maybe a sibling. And, you know, family members and then maybe, you know, kids at daycare or something. And that's it. Like, yeah. Is he, how does he react to seeing all these different people? Um, Depending on the day, he can be very happy if they have toys or if they have food. Mm -hmm. Um, If he's in one of his, his little moments. And I just realized like completely talked about all of these and didn't talk about his trach. He has a trach. Tracheostomy. Didn't talk about that, but we'll do that another day. But uh, yeah, so. Uh, so you mean um, in his, well, what is that? So it is a little tube that goes in the throat. So it's a hole in your scrotum and that it helps him to breathe. That is some people need it permanently. So you may have seen people on like smoking commercials. Sure that have like a trach in their throat to help them like talk or right. if they had some form of like a disease or something. Mm-hmm. So he has that. And that was really more of a, he had breathing issues before he had the heart surgery. It helped him to keep his airway open. Um, we didn't want to do it at first, but it was more so like, Hey, he had trouble breathing on his own already. Um, it's going to take some time to like heal because he has a restricted airway. That's really something that opens up as a person gets older. So we had to make the decision to put a trach in prior to the heart surgery. And then, but you're saying that the trach, you don't expect it to be permanent. It's just now as his body is developing. Yes. So the good news with his, yes, his won't be permanent. So as his airway continues to grow and he's able to, it won't be as restricted as much anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, there will be a time where essentially we will have a surgery just to remove it. And so he'll be able to breathe on his own fully. No tubes, nothing on his, no nose, no trach. He'll be able to f- fully breathe on his own. And, and I'm sorry, is there a timeline for that or it's just kind of, you just have to monitor it? So kind of have to monitor. We're actually though, based off some of the recent um, visits, we're looking at about another year. Okay. Yeah. So tell me what it's like. And one of the reasons you reached out to me about coming back on is you wanted to tell the story about being a parent of a, of a kid with, with uh, medical difficulties. And I think part of it was you wanted to kind of share um, tips on kind of the conversations that you would have with somebody with this, or, or am I saying that right? Yeah, more so. So a little bit more so of... How do people interact with parents, families? Much that better. Have that? Thank you. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> indeed. Indeed. Yeah. So what would you say to them? Um, number one, which I have found um, in certain parenting groups um, that I see, um, do not <laughs> tell people who have children with medical complexities, please do not put your insight or opinion on whether their child should get surgery or not. I've seen that a lot. Um, I think people do it just because, you know, we have our own fears and maybe own traumas with surgery and things like that. But a lot of people, they want to help. So it's not from a bad place, but it's also not an easy decision, right? Like for me, I'm like deeply into like my son's care. 
talking with doctors, always researching like latest information. I'm always asking questions. It is never an easy decision to have a young child put under the knife for their health. It is never an easy decision for any parent. So instead of like saying, well, I wouldn't do this or I wouldn't do this or this, that and the other, you know, understand the why behind it and just be that person to just say, hey, you know, whatever decision that you guys choose, I'm going to stand by you. I think a lot of the times people like to put in their thoughts and their opinions based off of their life experience, but don't understand like the real depth of that kind of decision. It was not an easy decision. We had people just like, well, can he just survive without it? Or why don't you just let his leg stay that way? You know, maybe he can be in a wheelchair. Well, that's not what we want for him. You know, we want CJ to have a full life and him having the amputation and getting a prosthetic will help him have that full life and not limit to him. And there's, again, nothing against anyone in a wheelchair. We're not saying that in any way, but we just preferred that he has that full quality of life. That was a decision we chose to make, not to have him to just keep his leg that way or just be on a brace because there were options of not having surgery, but him on a brace to help him semi-walk. But since there were no neurological issues or anything to stop that, we made the decision for him to go ahead and have that amputation so that way he could get a prosthetic and be able to walk. So I think it's more of a taking a, a stance of just support instead of just telling or just making comments, right? Like just support. That's the biggest one I would say at this point. Yeah, and I think you had told me too... Um... What are, what are some of the things that people said to you when, you know, understandably, this was taking up all of your time? Yes. So that's also another one. Understand that this life is requires time and time and specialists and hospital visits. No, we're not going to make every event. No, we're not going to make every barbecue. No, we're not going to, you know, just because we may not be calling every day. That doesn't mean we're ignoring you. That doesn't mean we don't want to be around you. You know, when you have a medically complex child, you're spending a lot of time in the hospital. And we're not just talking about for surgeries. We're talking about just regular specialist visits. Um, you're doing therapies, depending on how many therapies they may need. You're spending time a part of those therapies and making sure that they get all the care that they need. And even just their day to day, right? Like, you know, CJ has a very bright personality. He loves to talk to people in his own mm -hmm. way at this point. Mm -hmm. He loves being cuddled. He loves engaging with his, his younger cousins. He requires a lot of time. And so I tell anyone as well, when you are, you know, coming across parents or people that have that, have that situation with a medically complex child, just give them a little grace they're not ignoring you. They're not trying to participate. It's not that they're trying to stay away from you or maybe they are if you you guys had some issues in the past. <laughs> but for the most part, you know, we're not going to be at every event. Um, you know, the best way you can support, feel free to invite us. If we say no, don't take it offensively. We're not, again, we're not trying to ignore. A lot of times we're just tired. It's a lot of work, <laughs> especially if you're you're actively involved. It's a lot of work. So, just give grace, you know, maybe even, you know, send a call, do a video, right? If you, if the family or friends are at an event, do a video call. Sometimes that's helpful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
going through those times when you were, you know, you, you couldn't cry anymore and you were just, didn't think you could do it anymore, but you, you powered through. What's the message that you want to leave with people, uh, especially people who maybe, maybe parents who are just starting on this journey? What, what's the message that you would, would like to leave with them? So a parent told me this. I did not believe it. It is true. Mm-hmm. Um, there is light at the end of the tunnel. Um, and it kind of, in a sense, kind of ties into like how I lead in, in, in my corporate career. You know what I mean? Where, you know, you lead with grace. And I think I've learned so much even after, like from how I've like led teams before to even now. But I tell people like even parents going through this journey, like there is a light at the end of the tunnel. Um, it is going to be hell at the beginning. You're going to be scared and nervous. If you do make a mistake, if you do decide to drink a full bottle of liquor, please do not feel bad. There will be those moments. There may be times you may not even want to deal with the process. It's okay. Just know that at the end of the day, if you're pushing, you're there for that baby. You're there for that child holding their hand, being their advocate. It will everything will start to fall into place. And I think that's the the biggest thing that I've learned um, just on this journey with my son is, you know, now he goes to his visits, but on a regular day, he's watching Elmo or he's watching some cool video and bouncing and dancing or mm-hmm. he wants to be carried or he enjoys a swing or he wants to be in his toy car. There is a light at the end of the tunnel. It is a beautiful thing after you get through that dark place. It doesn't stay dark. It doesn't stay dim. There is a beautiful place after that. And just keep pushing. Go through parent. um, There are certain um, parent support groups. The one that has helped the biggest, um, definitely a big shout out to Lurie's Children's Hospital. They are absolutely amazing from the specialists, the nurses, the therapies. They have different support groups on their site where you can go through and you can join some of them as well. And you can talk to parents who are in very similar situations with you, ask them how they went through it, even like just to have that additional support. It definitely helps, but you don't have to stay in that dark place. And, you know, the way that I have went through this process has been raw and transparent. And I try to take that now in my role as a leader, being in um, like operations management, because, you know, there are people that I work with that report to me that have children, some that do have medical um, complexities, some that don't. But just being a parent in general, it's helped me to be even more of a stronger leader to know how to serve the people that, you know, that are reporting to me. And so it's so much better afterwards. There's still a journey. But the the big things with CJ at this point are now done and he it is closed. It's just lifelong maintenance. But him being a, a normal child, that is what he's living now. He is able the first time this weekend, uh, we actually took him to the Aaron Water show. He's never been to the oh, beach oh. and it was the best experience. And he enjoyed himself and he was amongst his family and he got to be on the sand and stuff that 
we didn't think he was going to be able to do or we couldn't see it at that time because all we could think was he's in the hospital all the time. Now he's starting to explore being a kid and just he has. Yes, he has his trach. He has his G. He has his G tube and the button, but he's still able to play, engage with other children, engage with other people. He's able to just freely explore what it is to be a child. So I definitely um, it's been a journey. It has been a long journey, but it is so great that he's able to do these things and he's now exploring it for the first time. And we get to do that for him. I feel like I have do have a sense of accomplishment as as a parent that all that advocacy has definitely paid off. Well, I, you know, as we're wrapping up here, I, I do want to say this too. Um, not only everything that you told in the story of the past hour um, of advocating and you and your husband doing this and researching and, and, you know, doing everything you can to make sure that he has the best life possible. That's admirable, obviously. But the fact that you're talking about, hey, now I lead people and these people have children and some of them have children with medical medical um, complexities. And then you talk about how this has taught you to have grace for them. I mean, that's just a it's not that's not a given. Yeah. And that's a really I, I just really admire that. And um, I just really appreciate you said raw and transparent. I really appreciate you coming on being so raw and transparent about such difficult topics. As we wrap up, is there anything else that you want to share that maybe you weren't able to share before we uh, close? Well, I'm going to kind of echo you about how important it is when you are working in a company (laughs) where, you know, you have people that may have anxiety, depression. They have a lot going on. It is definitely important. I say that to other leaders because now we're at a point at this time where, especially after pandemic, a lot of people have dealt with a lot of things like mentally they're going through things. And so I think um, the one thing I do appreciate, I will say, I do appreciate my boss because Mm. there was a time even prior to having children, you know, I had, I had some bosses who just really did not have passion or care for what's going on outside Mm. of the workplace. So I will say that I do, I really genuinely appreciate my boss um, especially in this circumstance, because that's always been something I think about is, well, where I work, um, my son has a lot of visits. I may have to make time. I'm definitely going to have to make time for that. But I think as a leader, it's just important that we're just mindful, right? Like people have a lot going on. And it's not that I didn't understand before children, but I think I've grown a little bit more sensitive to it and understanding how important it is to have that type of support in a workforce environment. And so it's really huge. And I think that has really helped to transform my leadership in a sense to really make sure that that is a priority and it works and it's successful and you don't, people don't lose productivity, right? If anything, they want to do more because you appreciate, (laughs) you appreciate that you understand they may have anxiety issues. They may have depression. They may have things going on with their families. It makes them appreciate and know that someone is listening, you know, especially, you know, in a a world where it's hard for people to get jobs or work or, you know, things are, there's a lot happening. (laughs) And so to have leaders who truly genuinely understand that 
while helping to keep productivity is 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 a really big thing. And so that's really helped me to transform some of my leadership as well, even more so now. So, hmm. yeah, it yeah, we, we we really need to continue that conversation. I don't think a lot of companies are getting it, but there's a time they're going to have to. Yeah, I sorry, I got I went silent there. I mean, I've written a whole speech about this, but you said it probably better than I did in a whole speech. So it's wonderful. And I couldn't agree more with everything that you just said. 100%. And I thank you so much for coming on and coming to the studio. Yes. Um, don't ever make fun of my hat again. I'll okay. try. Uh, not yeah. To. Yeah. You'll try. I'm sure. <laughs> Motherfucker. All right. All right. Well, with that lovely ending, I will uh, end the show. Thank you, Ollie. Glad to be back. Yeah. <laughs> I will end the show the same way that I always try to, which is, um, and, and again, echoing what Ali was just saying. You know, there's always room for kindness and grace, uh, especially with ourselves. I forget it every day. Um, and there is always room for kindness and grace. And if you can just remind yourself of that a little bit every day, it, it does go a long way. So with that, I'll say that again, there's always room for kindness and grace, and we'll see you next time on sad times. You've been listening to a fourth hand joint.